Hello everyone and welcome back to Tokyo on Fire. Today is September 7th, 2017. As everyone in the world knows, North Korea fired a rocket over Japanese territory just one week ago, and this development has startled not only the US government and the Japanese government, but the residents of Japan as well. I'd like to talk about that issue. Michael Chichek, thank you very much for joining me again. It's great to be back. This thing is really beginning to morph, isn't it? Well, it's, it, it's a snowballing effect. Whether that's simply because the DPRK is feeling more confident in its program and just accelerating it. Fire and fury. Or, that's right, is if there is some kind of tennis match going on between uh, the, the tweets and the comments of President Donald Trump and responses from the North Korean side. Right. Well, of course, Trump may be simply only facilitating what is truly the North Koreans' goals, which are to have an ability to threaten the United States in such a way that the United States never tries to invade North Korea. But it, it, it makes puts a spotlight on Donald Trump. Yeah, and, and put up or shut up. I mean, to, to shut up, right. anyone wonders uh, what his seemingly uh, most common world leader uh, in, as a conversation, uh, as a um, compensation partner, which seems to be Mr. Abe, what Mr. Abe is saying in these many phone sure. calls. That 45 he's minutes the last time. Long phone right. calls that he's been having uh, with President Trump. Uh, this is an extremely unusual situation. I, I cannot think of a time when the Japanese Prime Minister was the major interlocutor for the U.S. president, mm -hmm. and that the rest of the world is on the sidelines. Of course, the president has been speaking to uh, the president of South Korea, but there is this relationship that Mr. Abe, of course, crafted starting in the fall of last year, which now suddenly seems to be vital, not just for Japan's trade interests or Japan's security interests, but for the security interests of the world. Right. Well, isn't Abe now speaking with President Putin on just this issue in uh, Vladivostok? I mean, Vladivostok, the Vladivostok talk was about economic development of the, of the Far Eastern region of Russia. That's, the, or, that's what the, the framework is. And that was the intent as a part of this process that the Abe administration, through Meti Minister Seko, sure. uh, to engage Russia toward talking about an eventual peace treaty in that conflict, which is World War II, which is not over. Uh, but, but in the back room, can you cut off the oil? But, in the back, but it's going to be in the front room because the, 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 so the, the, the Russians and chi the Chinese have been in the driver's seat in that they have actual political relations and trade relations. Of course, the Chinese trade relation is massive as compared to anyone else's mm -hmm. with the DPRK. And their little Frankenstein monster has gotten out of control. Right. Now, the, the Russian side has uh, been consistently uh, underestimating the distances uh, that uh, the missiles have been flying. And again, was talking about the most recent test that went over Japan as being a missile that was significantly smaller than could make the trip. All kinds of very strange, just denials of reality. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, that is going to be a playing a part in that conversation. Why have you been 
why have why have you seemingly not been able to do the telemetry? Why have you not been able to see these things on on your radars, which are supposedly protecting your country from missile attack? You should be able to have a a, a true story, but your story is different from everybody right. else's. That's one hurdle that Abe has to get mm -hmm. over with Putin. But then the next one is, how do our two these two different tracks go? We want you to push hard on the, the uh, on the DPRK, and we want to have good relations. You, don't you see that's a package? Right. And I don't know if that's going to get across to Putin. Right. Let's talk a little bit about, um, so what? Why, why can't they fire these missiles? I mean, France did it. The United States did it. And then you guys formed a club, and then you disallowed everybody else from doing it. What's wrong with us, the North Koreans, developing this kind of technology, this capacity, you guys did it and you just made a club so that nobody else can do it and we're gonna go forward. Even though it violates international law that you guys made for yourselves, we can do it too. Well, in this case, the problem for the DPRK is that it is a member of the United Nations and the United Nations Security Council has numerous uh, resolutions that forbid it, the DPRK to undertake these actions. And they've signed agreement after agreement that we're not going to do it, send us the generators, send us the heavy water, we're not going to do it. Well, there, okay, to, to talk about the DPRK and reneging on contracts is, is you'll, you'll be talking all day. But nevertheless, the UN Security Council, which is the institution that brings together the Chinese, the Russians, the French, the Americans, uh, and also the rest of the world community in the non-permanent seats has spoken on this repeatedly. Mm -hmm. And so that's the big deal. However, the, the issue really is technical. The, the overflight was, the, the estimated altitude as it passed over Hokkaido was at 550 kilometers, which is basically the limit of what an Aegis SM-3 can knock out. Uh, so that... They didn't it, even try. They didn't even try right. because the, the question is, why is it why? I just started the sentence because, and there are all kinds of answers that have come out. One is that technically the chances of missing were extreme. And if you miss on the first time you try, that's a huge propaganda loss uh -huh. and indicates that, that one should, could try again. Uh, others is that you don't, you don't want to start a conflict over something that you know, actual sovereignty does not extend into space right. that far. Mm -hmm. So what, what are you going to, what do you, what do you try, message are you trying to send? Uh, whatever happened, there were Japanese assets that have anti-missile capabilities that did just watch it. Mm -hmm. And of course, the warning system, the J-Alert system. Uh, uh, we got one here in Tokyo. Six o'clock in the morning. Yeah, and it was it, with the the the, the Wawa sirens coming out of your phone, mm -hmm. or there were sirens that were playing through most of the of northern Japan, particularly in Hokkaido, as these this missile went over, and uh, there was a lot of of, of sarcastic commentary, uh, both on Twitter and on Facebook. Oh, it's told me to seek shelter. Where can I seek shelter? Right. Right. What is this? Uh -huh. You know that there was the reaction from the Japanese population. Basically, overall, was yawn. Well, it's basically like, where are we going to go? Right. 
And of course, the news agencies could find some people. I'm so terrified. Mm -hmm. This is so scary. Well, I don't which, think which, it. Which, really which, which is which they then put up on broadcast as some kind of representative of the Japanese people. But in large in large part, it was shrug right. your shoulders, and the others were where you know there's nothing we can do anyway. Well, the South Koreans too. They're not hunkering down in, into uh, bomb shelters whenever they launch one of these missiles thinking that there might be a retaliatory strike or some sort of action taken by the United States, which would then trigger a North Korea reaction, everybody's you know, going on business as usual. And there was really, it was really quite funny that many corporations and many uh, institutions sent out emails to their employees. Uh, please come to work as yeah, usual. Yeah, please come to work on the, at the usual time using your usual right. route. Right. Uh, there has been a, we have heard reports that North Korea has tested a missile Please come to work. Okay. And the other thing about this, Michael, though, before we, we, we get yeah. too far off of it, you know, the missile landed in territory that was closer to Russia than it was to Japan. And you didn't hear anything from the Russians. Well, the, the, the overflight is basically a distance measure. And one of the things that the DPRK did was talk about targeting Guam, right. the island of Guam, which in addition to being a U.S. territory is also chock-a-block with tourists from all of East Asia. Lots of Japanese there. Um, a lot of the, a lot of the uh, tourist infrastructure is is either paid for by Japanese corporations or you know the restaurants are Japanese restaurants. The bus system is a Japanese system. Right. Uh, but there are also South Koreans there. Increasingly, there are Russians who go there for warm weather vacations. It's a, 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 not a great place to, to threaten. Mm -hmm. It's also, of course, a huge United States military base, which is why the DPRK went after it's it. It's going to sink pretty soon, you know. Yeah, but yeah, we, that's, that's an in-joke for those of us who know about the U.S. congressional uh, testimony on, on Guam. <laughs> uh, but there is, that's where the strategic bombers are, are placed. And... There are no strategic bombers in Japan. Mm -hmm. If there is going to be some kind of bombing that takes place, the, the, the planes will take off from, from Anderson Air Force Base there in, in Guam and make a slow route all the way up and then make their way back. So it makes sense for the DPRK to make that threat. But the United States' response was hysterical to that threat. And the way to send a message was simply, okay, we're not going to send it into the, your, the direction of Guam. We'll send it in another direction, mm -hmm. but in exactly the same distance. Sure, it was. I mean, the trajectory had, had been changed. It, it, yeah, right? so it, it was if, as if a clock hand had right. been shifted. But the other thing, the, the, if you look at the trajectory, it covered the least amount of possible Japanese land mass. So they, this is very calculated. It's not going to go away. I don't think whatever response the United States or the Japanese or the Koreans or the, the Chinese come up with, he is on a, a mission and he is going to use this as a leverage to get whatever concessions he can. The question is then is what is Japan supposed to do? Well, and, increase their military budget. Yeah, the increase the military budget in, in actual terms, but it, since the whole budget is going to be larger, and the percentage of uh, that's eaten up by, let's say, uh, social security is actually growing more than the defense mm -hmm. budget. Uh, 
it's not, relatively speaking, it's not a big deal. Right. So Although, people aren't listening to what the foreign minister, sa- uh, the finance minister said about hurry up and die. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, in this case, the, uh, the military budget is going to grow by 2.4%. Social Security is going to grow by 2.5%. And that 2.5% growth is on one-third of the budget. Defense eats up 5% of the budget, you know, one-twentieth of the budget. Uh, it's a really small fraction. And, oh, it's growing by 2.4. 2.5 is big, though. Yes, yeah, I mean, 2.4, 2.5. It's big historically. And throughout the Abe tenure, it has gone up very significantly mm-hmm. every year. But it's nowhere near, it's only, it's 1% of GDP. It's nowhere near it where it go, needs to be to be to NATO standards, mm-hmm. much less for a country that's trying to defend itself. Right. And even if you did spend the money, uh, what would you spend it on? Well, certainly buying the world's most expensive aircraft, the F-35, uh, is a good start. And Japan is acquiring F-35s and will have, when it gets them, for the first time, preemptive attack capabilities. Okay, that's preemptive. It has no, nothing to do with missile defense. Uh, but it does, in that, it, it, in that you would hit the missiles or whatever targets before they're fired. That's what, because... Oh, okay, right. But that's, that's an act of war. That's an act of war, but there's nothing... The, uh, normally one would think that Article 9 forbids that. But the uh, Cabinet Legislative Bureau, back in the 1950s, when it was considering these basic issues of security, said that under certain circumstances, a, a, an attack immediately preceding what appears to be an attack on the other side can be justified as self-defense mm-hmm. and not a, an act of war. It's a very funky kind of interpretation that is on really shaky grounds with a lot of people. But nevertheless, that capacity has never been there. So it's been a, a, a theoretical point right. until now. Right. With an F-35 as a stealth fighter, you go in unannounced with some kind of weapon system, which you will deliver and then dis- go, go out without being detected. That's and there a, goes South Korea. That's a, that's, a, that's a, well, as a response, yes. But that's the preemptive capacity that Japan has never had before. Yeah. So they're going to be going forward with that spending. They're going to get some kind of standoff weapon. But beyond that, this question of will, J- will Japan go nuclear mm-hmm. in response to North Korea's going nuclear, uh, uh, no. Probably don't need to. They've got the United States to do that for them. But the United States, of course, is now less reliable under mm. the, the Trump presidency. It's now a, a country that does not pursue action. No, a- I don't action. think so. But, no, but it, 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 the, the, uh, the, the stance of the United States is first ambiguous because one doesn't know what President Trump is thinking at any one time. Which is one of his signature moves. moves yeah, right. being, being unpredictable, which is terrible for allies because they want you to be absolutely That's predictable. Right. Uh, beyond that, uh, the uh, United States nuclear stance is unclear. And of course, there are persons who argue that one of the goals of the DPRK is to break apart the, the cer- certainty of the alliances by saying that, okay, because you're allied to our enemies, Japan, uh, we're targeting you in the United States. Uh, so, you know, don't you know, end this relationship with the Japanese and maybe we'll, th- we'll discuss uh, only targeting Japanese targets. Right. Which, which, of course, makes no sense because 
you would have to completely remove all U.S. service members and all U.S. and their dependents out of Japan before there would be some kind of deal there, right. which is not going to happen. Yeah, the the smart move to me seems to be rather than aiming a missile, either, either a nuclear or or um, maybe an EMP, is uh, probably more effective to Japan because it's closer. You got six minutes of warning, and you probably send the same signal rather than trying to hit the United States, which probably takes 12 or 15 minutes, plenty of warning there. I don't even want to go game these things out. The, the questions right now are, what are the proximate things that Japan can do? Mm -hmm. uh, clearly talking to the South Koreans a lot uh, is the, the first line of business because the, the usual pathway of just talking to the United States and relying on that long-term alliance relationship Mm -hmm. uh, is clearly insufficient. Right. Uh, right. What, so Mr. Abe has to do that. There have been discussions about, because there is a relationship with trust between Abe and uh, President Trump, that Abe could get away with sending a personal envoy to Pyongyang. Right. And the scandal mags are all talking about Koizumi Junichiro as being that guy. Now, that would first seem, you know, crazy because, you know, he likes being retired. He doesn't want to have to do anything. He's an easygoing, he has an easygoing life, doesn't get involved in politics, doesn't even help his own son get reelected. Why would he want to jump back into the fire? But then one also has to consider that he would be ideal. Yeah. He's, he's, a, he's got the gravitas. He's a former prime minister. He's been there before, met... And for Kim Jong-un, you met my dad right. back then. That, Dennis that, Rodman is busy otherwise. And that, that kind of relationship uh, often seems to work, uh, have some kind of yeah. magic with the North Koreans. And the North Koreans are right now on a merry-go-round along with everybody else in mm -hmm. the world. And maybe they want to get off. And the only way they can get off is if they have someone of extremely high stature go and pretend to, to pay tribute Mm -hmm. to this wonderful young man. Maybe that's what he wants. I don't know. But there are two other issues that have come up, and uh, this, is, this issue is going a little bit long. Um, uh, the possibility of an EMP, and the other issue is the hydrogen bomb explosion that they experienced, what, four days ago? Well, on Sunday, they, they didn't seemingly did a, a, a full thermonuclear test, yes, mm -hmm. with some, yield somewhere between 120 and 140 kilotons, which is a, a factor of 10 uh, higher than anything that they've achieved previously. All kinds of technical uh, achievements there that you could go on. Uh, the EMP story is always something that's brought up. The thing is about EMP is that it just fries all your stuff as well as everybody else's, so it's not really a great idea. Uh, and also, it, it, it empowers groups to discuss nuclear weapons uh, as something that would be used given a battlefield use because they would be serving as a knockout mm -hmm. blow. Uh, it's best not to go there. I don't yeah, no, want to. No, but it's, it's an, I mean, because we haven't figured out why North Korea is doing this. I mean, to, to get leverage, obviously, somehow, but they are on a roll, and it seems to me that no matter what concessions are given to them, history has shown us, that they're not going to stop. They're on, they're on a, a, a path to, nuclear, to um, military 
um, uh, development. Well, they've looked at the, the, what happened to uh, Muammar Gaddafi in Libya, mm -hmm. what happened to Saddam Hussein, and what's happening to the Ukrainians in their struggles with the Russians. Venezuela? Let me it's a different issue, but it's... No, it's a completely different issue. Uh, <laughs> but they've looked at, at the, those three countries, and they gave up their nuclear weapons or their nuclear weapons programs, and they either were, were killed, mm -hmm. or the leaders were killed, or in the case of Ukraine, the, Russia can terrorize them. Uh, that's a very good... Ex those are very good examples of why you should not, right. if you have a, a nuclear capability, why you should hang on to it and develop it. Mm -hmm. uh, you can't argue with that. Mm -hmm. uh, the only thing that you can say is, uh, sure, you can have your nuclear deterrent, but nothing else good will happen to you. Uh, that's the message everyone wants want China to send. Right. to uh, the DPRK, but the Chinese, for their own reasons, have made it, found it very difficult to pull themselves completely out of a country which they saved back yeah. in 1950. Mm -hmm. uh, their troops saved that country, and China shed blood in making that country continue onward when it was on the brink of being overwhelmed by Allied forces. Uh, they're having a hard time walking away and stopping their companies doing trade. And if they're not in on it, nobody's in on it. North Korea firing missiles over Japan, stirring the pot geopolitically. Please stay tuned to this issue because this story's not over yet. Welcome back to Tokyo on Fire. Today is September 7th, 2017. The Democratic Party finally is starting to get its act together. Renho, their former chairperson, resigned maybe four weeks ago, and they went through an election and have now selected their new leader, Michael Chuchet. I would not actually characterize it as getting their things together, especially how the events have turned out since the election. But let's talk about the election first off. There okay. are two candidates, Edano Yukio, Yukio Edano, and Seiji Maehara. Now, Seiji Maehara represents what is the conservative or right-wing side of the party, which basically, in the case of the DP, means they are for talking about constitutional revision, talking about building up Japan's military, but otherwise there's no other kind of right-wing... Try and resemble the LDP a little bit more than they have in the past but, rather than but, be a but fighter. More, but more of a, a strong military and close to the United States side of the party. And there is the other side of the party, which is many of the members have roots in the, the old Socialist Party, which is skeptical of the alliance and very skeptical of military power in mm -hmm. general. And Yukio Odano didn't really represent that side of the party, the, le the leftist side, but nevertheless became their champion. And in previous contests, the, the rightists have always lost. They've always been taken okay. over by the center left. And since the party has purported to be a center-left party in its, in its pre presentation, that made sense. Mm -hmm. uh, because if you provide yourself and, and purport to be a center-right party, everyone says, wait, we've already got one, the LDP, and they're right. in power. Why do we have to elect you? Right. Right. Uh, but with the Renho failure, for various reasons, uh, 
that the center left lost the capacity to motivate the the party and Mayhara in an inter extraordinary internal party meeting, and that doesn't mean it was it really interesting. It means means it wasn't scheduled. Was elected then isn't elected the new party leader. Why are we talking about this on Tokyo on Fire? Why is a discussion of the Democratic Party? essential to understanding what's going on in Japanese politics now. It is the number one opposition party, but when you say that, the words make it sound bigger than it actually is. That's right. The numbers of people who support it are very low, and the number of members of the diet that it has are relatively insignificant, and indeed, in terms of passing legislation, are insignificant. Mm -hmm. they, they can wave their hands up in the air and scream, run for the microphone, but otherwise they can't stop anything. And every time it seems as if they're getting their act together, as you mentioned, they, they just stumble, either through infighting or bad uh, choice selection. Or, or bad timing or whatever right. it is. We, we've had as a recurring theme, now they're going to get going. Yeah, and now our heart doesn't... I mean, our hearts go out to them. We want them to be successful. We want them to be cohesive. We want them to provide a, a true opposition backing. Yeah, and that's part of our belief, and possibly because we're Americans, that it's out of competition and fair and, and free and fair competition that the better ideas survive and the bad ideas get pushed right. out. We have a certain faith in that. But if there's one side that is overwhelmingly powerful and the other side can only just scream in vain, mm -hmm. uh, the likelihood that that, uh, that powerful party will indulge itself, in, engage itself in self-dealing, such as Mr. Abe's LDP has been accused of, uh, seems very natural right. to us. So we want to have a good, strong uh, DP, not because we're necessarily attached to their political program, but just as a general something to compete with the LDP. On the first day after being elected president of the Democratic Party, he selects his secretary general and once again... And the secretariat, the entire secretariat for the party, yeah. Right. And it stumbles again. That's the weird thing. The, the choice that he made for secretary general of the party, when I heard it, I nearly, I, 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 my heart seized up. I said, no, he couldn't have. And the person he chose is a second-term law legislator, uh, Yamao Shiori, who is, yes, a woman, and therefore it's really nice because we had a woman leader mm -hmm. and an, a male number two. Now we have a male leader. We should have a woman number two. Uh, it shows that we are as committed to... A lot women, of calculations going oh, yeah, into this We are this as committed to, to empowering women just the way Mr. Abe is, but in a more realistic way. Look at the secretariat, of the, the new secretariat of the LTP. It's all old guys right. in gray suits. And they didn't want to be that. They wanted to be for the new, for the new Japan, right. for and, the younger and, people. And that's right. And that, this, that was that choice. But she had not been a very good uh, policy chief, Seicho Kaito. Uh, they, they give it a strange name. They, they don't call it the, the, the Policy Research Council like the, the, the LDP does, but that's what her job was, mm -hmm. head of the Policy Research Council. It didn't put out any good ideas under the Renho administration. Uh, and for her, uh, uh, really, just barely a, 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 an incumbent legislator, I mean, she's only got two elections to the diet, for her to be put in charge of the party apparatus, this neophyte, was astonishing, especially since she was already 
a, a, a source of a magnet for criticism and a magnet for, for sniping, not only because she's a woman in the era of the internet, but because she personally went after Abe uh, in, yep. many, in a very personal way. Uh, she's been the target of, of tremendous right-wing agitation mm -hmm. uh, from the, uh, the, the neto uyoku, as they're called. To put her in charge was just asking for trouble. Well, I don't know. I mean, they would have done the backroom politics even before he had said something in front of the mic. I mean, she is one of several people that have been selected within a group. I mean, Mai Hara is not the only person that, that's making this decision. But within 24 hours, she's out and somebody else is in. That's because it became untenable. Uh, the internal dynamics of the party, the people who, got, who, who cast their votes for Mai Hara, all turned against him and said, how could you pick her? She's from the, the left side of the, of the spectrum. She's, she's a, a, a newcomer. She has no connections. She's going to attract trouble. Right. And we will discuss that indeed there has been a phase two of sure. this story. Uh, but she, she's, she's just kryptonite for the party. But doesn't your palm just go back to your forehead when they do this again and you go, gosh, you guys can't you get your act together, right? Uh, yeah, but that's, that, that is something actually I expected from Maehara mm -hmm. Seiji. Maehara is famous for having to resign as leader of the DPJ back in the day because he was fooled by a fake email. That's right. Uh, and he, 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 he went down in flames. He just insisting that this obviously fraudulent, uh, hi, I'm Takebe, I want you to collude with me in, in an electoral scheme, Mr. scheme, Mr. Horier, please help me. Yeah, that, This was that, after he had been foreign minister though, right? No, this is before the, 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 the switchover. This is back in the uh, first Abe administration, no, but this is during, back during the Koizumi administration uh, when Takebe was the secretary general. Uh, Maihara got from uh, a secret source. Uh, no, it's not. A, well, the, um, the, a secret source gave a, a really disturbed member of the DPJ. He later took his own life. Uh, got this, and and he started making a big deal about what he thought was a real email, and then Mayahara went on with it, mm -hmm. and did not listen to the people around him saying it's a fake. It's a fake. Don't get caught in mm -hmm. this. And it's too juicy. It was too juicy, and it, and. He crashed and burned on that. That he, in his first day, you know, out of hubris, out of stupidity, picks who, someone who is clearly wrong. As I said, my reaction was visceral. I have no... I mean, I was overjoyed when Ren Ho was, was chosen. Mm -hmm. And it turned out she had problems with her immigration status, but that was, and her, her nationality status, but... But Yamao has been sending out signals that she's problematic all over the place. Okay, and now we've had a new revolution. And now revelation. we have, now, she was replaced based on the reaction of the party. But if you pick up today's newspaper and look at the ads for this week's Shukan Bunshin, it says, here's the article that got her removed from power. That's on sale today, isn't it? It's on sale today, right. and it says, and it's all about extramarital affairs. Right. Uh, that at least one of them, maybe more, uh, that she is, uh, in one person said, oh, she's boy crazy. Okay, well, that's probably and, and, okay. the she's, only she, parliamentarian like that. No, but then, true. 
but the the uh, the the you know the fact that she is a woman that there seems to be a double standard as regards infidelity. Mm -hmm. uh, she's married. The person whom, with whom she's supposedly having an affair is also married. Uh, but there seems to be a double standard there. Uh, somehow, male politicians are able to continue on. Right. But this the scandal mags came out. So maybe that had something to do. Knowledge of that kind of uh, weakness had something to do with mm -hmm. the visceral reaction that came over the weekend right. to her, her nomination. Uh, so he nominates the person who ran his political campaign in getting elected head of the party, Mr. Right. Oshima. Six times elected. Uh, he's a very seasoned politician. Seasoned politician, fulfills the bill. But now we have a secretariat for the DP that looks exactly like the secretariat for the LDP, all old guys. Right. Which is exactly what he was trying to avoid, right. but he could, he picked the absolutely wrong person. Mm -hmm. Now, women in the DP are all lightning rods. That's the word I've been looking for. Uh, Ren Ho, Tsujimoto, they all attract the most visceral and disgusting uh, commentary from the self-appointed right-wing uh, commentariat. Uh, so no matter how the DP tries to put women into positions mm -hmm. of power, they're going to have trouble. But again, there was more to that, I think, in the Yomao. Why mistake. is this important right now that we're discussing this? We've got uh, several elections coming up, and it seems as if there might be a possibility for a SNAP election. They need to get their act together we real need quick. To have a, we actually need to have an episode entirely about the SNAP election, and maybe we'll discuss it later. Uh, but, yeah, the, there's a, there's, there is, on the 22nd of October, three seats are open in the House of Representatives that need to be filled. And there's going to be a by-election on that date. And so the, the DP has to be ready. But now... My, the Mayahara administration starts off and stumbles right over the first hurdle. Right. And so we're back to reconstruction mode. But we also have another party, Japan First, that's grown out of Tokyo First, the, uh, the um, coalition that was initiated by governor of Tokyo, Koike, which she basically cleaned house in the election uh, about a month and a half ago. That's right, in the Tokyo gubernatorial, um, the Tokyo Metropolitan Assembly elections. That's right. The... Uh, Tokyo first, and interestingly, of course, it has attracted a lot of defectors from the Democratic Party yep. who, were, who were from that right wing that eventually, if they had stayed, they would probably be in the secretariat now right. of the DP because their champion, Mayahara, got elected. Mm -hmm. So you look at people like uh, Akishina and or, or, or Hosono Goshi, and you guys, you guys had... Nagashima, I'm sorry, Nagashima and, and Hosono. And you say, perfect timing, guys. Yeah. You leave the party just when your side takes over. Mm -hmm. Good luck with, to with uh, Japan first, which is a movement. But, okay, so it took over the Tokyo Assembly. And traditionally, these regionalist parties do well for at least one House Election of Representatives. Right? One House of Representatives cycle. And then they fall to pieces. That's what happened uh, with the renovation party coming out of Osaka, that's right. Uh, the the uh, movement that controls Nagoya, the, the the low taxes movement there, has never busted out at all. Uh, these regional parties, yes, they manage to hold on to certain parts of the country, and preventing 
an actual national opposition mm -hmm. party from actually emerging because the, these main urban centers are now controlling, are controlled by these smaller regional parties, but they don't have a national message that people want to hear. Mm -hmm. And in fact, when you listen to the kinds of things that Wakasa wants, he probably could not, and in fact did not stay in the LDP because his ideas are too, con mm -hmm. too hardcore conservative, too hardcore right wing. And so when the election comes around, this dream of having a center-right and center-left will be, again, smashed. It will be a center-right party, the LDP, a small lefty party, mm -hmm. lefty-righty party in, in the DP, and then the ultra-right in, in the uh, Japan First. And let's face it, they are definitely borrowing their name from right. America first. They're not, they're absolutely upfront about it. And in fact, when uh, Koike was running for the, the was campaigning for the, the Tokyo Assembly, they all wore green hats with make Tokyo great again on it in English. Uh, these are folks who attract the wrong side <laughs> of right. the, the spectrum. spectrum. Mm -hmm. So that makes the, the by-elections look funky and any other kind of elections on a national scale look fraught. An interesting mix and a dynamic that you should keep your eye on. We're going to watch it too. Stay tuned. Hi everyone, welcome back to Tokyo on Fire. It is September 7th, 2017. Although it's not quite accurate to say that the veneer has fallen off of Tokyo Governor Koike, some of the cracks are beginning to appear. Michael, there are a couple of things that are going on in the background now. Some of her popularity is beginning to be questioned. Well, I, I don't know if it's affected her popularity ratings, but she's certainly getting a lot of bad press. Mm -hmm. uh, and there are a lot of things to uh, admire about Governor Koike. Her environmentalism is impeccable, and her, her sense of panic about the world in, in terms of climate change is absolutely apt in my view. Right. And, and her advocacy, her, her color is green. Mm -hmm. and all of her things are green for that purpose. And she calls herself Eko Yuri, Yuriko, uh, but Eko Ecology as her, that's her Twitter handle. Mm -hmm. But then there's another side to her. Some of the honeymoon has kind of waned a little bit away, hasn't it? Well, th this, she has taken an action that is almost inexplicable in political terms unless you were really trying to pander to a very narrow right-wing fringe in Japanese political life. And that's the suggestion, right? That uh, because she is not willing to say what she has said in the past uh, in eulogy to the Koreans that were massacred in, during the Tokyo um, Great Earthquake of 1923, that somehow that means that she, she doesn't care or she, she's changed her mind on that. Or that she never was for it in the first place. But we need to backtrack. The, the, the core issue is, is that in 1923, on September the 1st, there was a massive earthquake here in the Kanto region. And in the aftermath, uh, paramilitary forces, military forces, police forces uh, spread rumors that the Koreans were going to try to take over the government, or the Koreans were poisoning people's wells, so they and they were dying. And these. And this wasn't. I mean, it's important to point out this wasn't an organized rumor mill. It, it only happened in certain. It pockets, happened in certain places, certain neighborhoods, but certain neighborhoods. But that certain 
the later there were there were certain provocateurs who were right. identified, and many of them, in fact, had a great deal of to, to do with Japan's later invasions of of North Asia. Uh, but that these security forces uh, rounded up. Uh, Koreans and ma- murdered them, or they were massacred by violent mobs that were stirred on the vigilantes. Right. And th- the general view is that somewhere uh, uh, from 1,000 to 6,000 mm-hmm. uh, Koreans were massacred. Now, not only Koreans were massacred after the September 1st earthquake. Leftists, particularly communists and anarchists, were rounded up, very famous a uh, couple and, and their, their nephew, who was six years old, who were murdered by police mm-hmm. in the aftermath, in the chaos afterward, because those who wanted to get rid of these unsavory social elements had an opportunity right. in the chaos that existed. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that there are all kinds of victims who were never killed by the earthquake and fire, who were killed directly by people who later helped Japan march to war. Right. Now that's the story. Right? And it's a historical fact. fact. It's, it, it is it's, a fact. fact. It, right. There's it, controversy it, over the, how many people were massacred, but there was a massacre, massacre and it was It's a reported program. in the newspapers right. of the time. Uh, it, scholars, both on the right and the left, all agree that this exactly happened. Mm-hmm. And in commemoration for the, the horrible injustice that took place, there has been a tradition in the governor's mansion of writing a eulogy to those who were massacred every year, right. every year and sending it to a private organization. Okay. Now, it's not an official act, right. but it's, a, it's something that every governor has done. Even the anti-Korean, anti-Chinese Ishihara yeah, Shintaro right. did it every year, mm-hmm. and he was in power for a long time. Koike is the first to say no. And everyone says, why? Right. Well, she says, I'm responding to an inquiry from a member of the assembly, who happens to be one of these right-wing nutbags who, who gets into what I call the Nanjing debate, mm-hmm. where they, they say, in, in the case of the Nanjing massacre, the Chinese say 300,000 were massacred. It was no more than 30,000. Mm-hmm. And you say, that's not what you tell people whose grandparents or children were killed, that, that they were off by a factor of 10. That mm-hmm. argument doesn't fly. Right. But that is exactly the argument that this fellow made. He said, the literature of this private organization says 6,000. Mm-hmm. Do you really think it's 6,000 to them, Governor? And she says, well, I'll investigate. And she says, I'm still investigating. Mm-hmm. Oh, and it's distasteful. 1923, fake news. Fake news, right. It's distasteful. But it's distasteful because she has a history Mm -hmm. of anti-Korean activism. In her campaign literature for the gubernatorial election, she promised that she would cancel Shinjuku City's plans to lease an empty school. There were not enough students to have that school open. But the Koreans... In living in South Koreans living in Tokyo have only one high school to go to, mm-hmm. and the, their organization wanted to open a second one. And Shinjuku City, which is in charge of elementary and secondary education, that's what the municipals municipalities do, said, "Sure, right. we will lease to you this empty building." 
Right-wingers said, no, you can't. We, that has to be for childcare. Uh, that has to be for uh, kindergartens and uh, daycare centers for children. This building cannot be used for those Koreans. Right. And she latched onto that and said, I support this. Mm -hmm. I think that, that should be, this decision should be rescinded. And that was part of her campaign, uh, and a, a very much a prominent part of her campaign, when appealing to right-wing voters. Right. Completely hidden from most of us. Mm -hmm. Most people did not know that was part of her campaign. But it was obvious who her friends were. And, and, and for me, the, the stunning thing was to see the image of her, uh, well, the video and the image of her, delivering her uh, victory speech the night of, that she won the, the, the governor's election. She had behind her a tree made of leaves, green leaves, all, which were all... The, each on each leaf was a, a, a wish written by a supporter, right. and the one right here, right next to her head, was really weird. She was running for governor of Tokyo. Now Tokyo is a metropolitan, cosmopolitan city of all kinds of people coming together from all over the world. I mean, it sells itself as a cosmopolitan world financial center of all kinds of people, and yet for this position, which has which has nothing to do with the nation, right next to her head, this leaf, very well, clearly written, politics of Japanese, by Japanese, for Japanese. Mm -hmm. And that's what's right next to her during the entire press conference. Mm -hmm. And for me, I said, what does that have to do with the governor? Right. Nothing. Mm -hmm. What does it have to do with a nationalist program? Mm -hmm. Everything. And especially with this history of anti-South Korean activism. It seems like that wasn't really a very smart move. I mean, the Korean population makes up not an insignificant portion, I mean, not as great as it is in Osaka, for example, but the Koreans do vote. They are members They don't of vote. They have no right to vote at all. And that, that's that in, no, in, in, in no place. And the, the Supreme Court has spoken on that. And the government- You're talking about the Zainichi- Yeah, the Zainichi, yeah. Okay. They're, yeah, they're, they're all citizens. They don't even get to vote in local elections. That was a question that the DPJ brought up and that the LDP would hold up and say, see, you are not of the body. You are not of the, of the, of the national ethos. You are actually trying to help foreigners vote in this country. Okay, that issue. No, they don't get to vote, but they do live here. Mm -hmm. And in the section just north of Shinjuku Station in Shinokubo, it's, it's Koreatown, right. it, it, and there are tens of thousands, more than 50% of the students in, at, in the, the local public schools have at least one foreign parent, mm -hmm. and most often that's a Korean parent, uh, or a pair of Korean parents. It's just they're here, and they've been here for generations. Why pick a fight with them? If you may have a fight with the South Korean government, but don't pick a fight with these people who have been here. Mm -hmm. Many of you have been here for a century. Well, it's an important step forward, I think, for her because this is truly plain politics. And for people who are watching what she's doing, this is a signal for where she stands on critical political issues. That's right. And that's the thing that... A little really, bit scary. That makes, that makes right. me worried about her whole... Tokyo mm -hmm. first and now Japan first movement. Mm -hmm. That it's not about populist uh, seizure of power from the corrupt LDP. It's for, for basically a national movement, a national movement right. of, of dog whistle, uh, mm -hmm. anti-foreigner, dog whistle, anti-Chinese, anti-South Korean politics that gets away with it 
because of this veneer of environmentalism and in, in this veneer of she's a very attractive woman and right. taking on the powers that be and isn't that great and look at all the great foreign press she gets right she studied internationally she has a went master's to, degree went, went, went from went to cairo university she's a, a member of the global women's movement and yeah that's true but an unfortunate number of her supporters are have politics that probably the right. rest of the world would not be very proud of not that we're criticizing her, but it's interesting what kinds of things turn up here on our discussions on Tokyo on Fire. You should stay tuned. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Tokyo on Fire. It is September 7th, 2017. Here on Tokyo on Fire, we delve into political issues that have contemporary importance to you who live here or who are doing business with Japan. One of the issues that strikes us all the time that is a really electric issue is a snap election that is called by the Prime Minister of Japan. He has that ability, doesn't he? Yeah, he has a, a possibility of calling at any time an election. Now, formally, it's the emperor that does that. But what it is, is the, the Prime Minister decides it's time for an election for his own either personal political reasons or by through pressures from his party that it's time to roll the dice. And then he goes to the emperor, and the emperor dissolves the lower house, right. the house of representatives. The upper house can't be dissolved. Mm -hmm. This uh, is a, a good advantage, though, isn't it? I mean, it's not, it's not, I mean, it is a, a powerful advantage. The, the, the timing in the of political the language, it's called the prime minister's ultimate weapon. Mm -hmm. That whenever anything happens, either internal dissension within his party, and it's unfortunate I have to use the word his because it's only there have been no women. But when in his party there has been internal dissension or there is a political issue out there that has stymied the diet or there is a decision that the cabinet has made that is so controversial, and this is the one that Abe has used more than once, that he has to go to the voters to get their opinion of what has happened. Or, for example, he just scored a big hit and he wants everybody to say, yes, you're on the right track. That's At a time when his opposition is in disarray, he comes in, he cleans the clock. That's right. That, those are all good reasons for a prime minister, in this case, Prime Minister Abe, to call an election. So everyone's saying, so when are you going to do it? Right. And that's because his term as president of the LDP ends in September of next year. Right. The next House of Representatives election has to happen by December of next year. There's a, there's a three-month gap there. Uh, he could wait until he gets reelected. If he gets reelected, he'd be the first one reelected a third, a second time, elected to a third term, and then go into an election saying, "What do you think of me as as the president of the LDP?" That's one of the scenarios, right? And, and it, we haven't talked about a snap election on Tokyo on Fire since for maybe four months. That's because his ratings, his personal popularity ratings, not so much the parties, but his cabinet's ratings have been in the dumpster. Right. But also there's this biorhythm about timing and, and advantage, and you want to call a, a snap election at a time that other things are going on at the same time. They're already on the calendar. That's right. But in this case, he doesn't have a calendar item. The, the, the first thing that he used uh, to justify his first snap election was, I have just delayed the imposition of the rise in the consumption tax. Right. What do you think, voters? Now, 
everybody says, God, that is such a limp thing to do. First of all, you promised that you would raise the, the, the consumption tax on time. Then you reneged on that promise. And, and you now, now, you're, you're, now you're saying that this was a, a bold decision that you have made to not pe raise people's right. taxes. What, what, what the, and, but it worked. Mm -hmm. It worked fantastically. But the next rise in the consumption tax, the delay that has happened is delayed twice. The next turn, uh, uptick is not until 2019 mm -hmm. in, in October. And so it's, it, he can't use that as an excuse. Right. He, can't, he can't put it off because it's not going to happen anytime during his current presidential term. The last time, sorry to interrupt you, the last time this was a conversation piece was the meeting he was going to have on the Northern Territories. He was hoping he was going to come back with a victory, and then he was going to call a snap election towards uh, December of Christmas time, January. That didn't happen. He came back with his hat in his hand. Yeah, we were, we were discussing it all through the summer last right. year. Here's the setup. Right. A super summit with, with Putin gets something on paper regarding a peace treaty and then says to the voters, what do you think? Right. And, but he, of course, got nothing out of the summit except a lot of waiting for Putin to show up. He's been waiting for an opportunity, and then the, the Tokyo Metropolitan Government elections didn't go his way. The, the Modi Tomogakuen right. scandal erupted, and then the Kakegakuen scandal erupted, and his his popularity ratings, which have been historically high, eroded away. Right, and so timing, you know, when do I call the election, has suddenly beca became completely jumbled. Right, and now we're looking at okay, what if it's not about Abe? What if it's the LDP itself mm -hmm. that is the motive force? Right, and that's why we're talking about a sudden snap election at the time of the by-elections of October, October 22nd. Right. His reconfiguration of the cabinet really sent a strong signal to us that this is actually what he's doing. He's, he's bolstering the LDP. He's put Mr. Kishida, formerly the foreign minister, into the, the Pol top shot. Policy the, research, on, yeah. On, in and the LDP. Brought Taro Kono, an outsider, into the foreign minister's spot. His approval rate, yeah. And, sure and Nodaseko into the government as well. Critics of him, rivals of him into the government. It's now a cabinet of rivals. Right. And, and the th approval ratings have reflected that. Not greatly, but he's uh, achieved a couple of points. That's good. He's, he's, he's done pretty well in terms of a small rebound in the cabinet numbers. The cabinet is seen as, as much more solid, especially since he lost Inada Tomomi from it, mm -hmm. his own personal acolyte, who turned out to have been a lead weight right. on his administration. Uh, that has all been cleaned up, and okay, now it wouldn't be Abe for his convenience, for his per career, but simply we have the opposition in absolute shambles. Mayahara has, has, has blown the, the relaunch of his party uh, in, a, in a scandal that, we can, that we've discussed. We should have an episode on that. We, says we certainly should. Uh, but the, the new Tokyo First Party isn't there yet. I'm sorry, the Japan First Party is, isn't there yet. The Tokyo First Party does exist. Uh, this, is, this is the time for the LDP. Right. Maybe not, it's not convenient for Abe, but we, the LDP, will do well enough. And the only question is, will the ruling coalition uh, get enough seats to maintain its two-thirds majority in the House of Representatives that it needs for constitutional revision? Right. And... My guess is it's, it's, it's a shoe in mm -hmm. uh, But other commentators see that there's a question. 
And if indeed uh, Abe loses that two-thirds majority, right. is he no longer viable since he's so committed and so identified with the constitutional revision story? You know, it's interesting that Ichiro Ozawa has now come up again and started talking publicly about, you know, the Abe administration and how we as a coalition in opposition need to stay tight. The, the, Ozawa is a really interesting character in that he is incapable of seeing how he affects politics, but he's very, very aware about how everything else works out. Mm -hmm. And he's a wonderful person to follow on Twitter because he says such salient things. He doesn't say it in his own name, it's put out in his, in his office's name, but you know it's him. Right. Uh, and, and yeah, he's, he's right about this concept that the, the opposition needs to stick together and stay together because the LDP has such incredible advantages. He should know. He was secretary general of the LDP. He knows what, how that thing works. Clearly he tried, a political genius. He, 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 he tried to reform the right. DPJ into a party just like the LDP in terms of its connections to local affairs and did so and won in 2009. Mm -hmm. It was the only time the opposition has ever won. He knows what he's talking yes, about. Yes, he does. But he's also unable to see that people hate him and yes. would never, and anything he touches turns immediately uh, to mud. Okay. The, the, the interesting thing about the, the possibilities of election are, are it, it would, if, it, if there were an early election, it would solve a problem that exists with the Komeito. Mm -hmm. And this is really inside baseball. But Komeito is, is, is all for it too. Yeah, but the, it's all for it too. But there's a problem if there's an extraordinary diet session in the fall. One of the items on the government docket, not on the private legislator's docket, on the government docket is the follow-up legislation on casinos. Mm -hmm. the, the legislation that will make it possible for integrated resorts to come together. Now that legislation, when it was proposed last year by Hosoda and his team, that was a, a, a legislator's bill. The government wanted nothing to do with it. And it split the Komeito. Half of the Komeito voted for it, half of the Komeito voted against it, which normally in parliamentary politics means the party splits as well. Mm -hmm. But the Komeito, because of its religious makeup, stayed together. But it, it absolutely fractured and fried its internal cohesion and also its relationship to the mothership, the Soka Gakkai. This time, a government bill on gambling is coming up in the fall extraordinary session, it again will knock the Komeito silly. And mm -hmm. how can the Komeito stay in the coalition if it's constantly being broken and having to choose either to go for or against the government? Right. Okay, so looking at this in terms of predicting what's gonna happen in the next six weeks, that's a very limited period of time. The prime minister or the administration has to do something rather dramatic if in fact they're going to call a snap election so that they can say, see this, this is what we did, we did this too. I think it's simpler than that. I think it's Abe looking at the morning newspaper and saying, wow, that's what Mr. Trump said, and whoa, that's what Kim Jong-un did, did today. And he closes the newspaper and says, no election this week, uh -huh. <laughs> and he'll be entirely fine with everything. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the only thing he can do. He has a world that's in chaos. And he is seen internationally and also domestically as a source of stability. He sure does. And yeah. darn it, why waste that? Right. And that, I think, is what's going to be the main pillar and, and the post of what he does. If we pass this opportunity, then we go into November, December, the end of the year, 
we're into the, the new period, the new diet session. The regular diet session, will, which will not be interrupted because it decides on the budget, will not be interrupted by an election. A next snap election possibility would be around this time next year. Uh, or it'd have to be before because around this time next year is just two weeks before the party congress that's going to pick who is going to be the president of the LDP. Right, okay. The only other thing that might entice the prime minister is what he does with North Korea. He has received a couple of ticks of being stand-uppish. He's been uh, rather firm in his dealings with the North Korea situation and his talks with, with uh, uh, President Trump. So he's, maybe he sees that as an attractive option. But I don't see how that's going to in any way, in fact, it's extremely, very much a negative toward throwing Japan into turmoil by a national election. Exactly. Yeah. Stay tuned.